Good morning, church. Well, here I am on the screen again. If you're here in the building, you realize that. And if you're tuning in at home, welcome. Um, we are still waiting for Tosh to go in for his final leg of treatment. His white blood cell numbers are creeping up slowly. So we're waiting, but it looks to be that he's gonna get checked tomorrow, Monday, and uh, for being admitted on Tuesday, he's very close. So the doctors are pretty confident that he's going to be admitted. But as we say, right, it's all in God's plan. And that's what we're relying on. And uh, that's the series we're in right now. We're in this series called God's Plan, and we're taking this right into Easter Sunday. And we are gonna be doing our sunrise service on Easter Sunday as well. That'll be 6.30 at the uh, Skipper's Cove Beach Club. Then we're going to have two services here. Lord willing, that will be our first Sunday back outside. So we're really looking forward to that Sunday. I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful for each person that's here in the building and each person that's tuning in online. I just pray now, Lord, as we continue to discuss and learn from your word about your plan, that we are encouraged and inspired by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about God's plan when we fail. God's plan when we fail. See, the scriptures teach us that God is in control, and the scriptures also teach us that we have free will. Since we have free will and are imperfect people, there is always going to be failure. Now, we can all agree that if we seek to do something, whatever it may be, the goal is not failure, it is success. So we don't question God's plan when we succeed. In fact, because succeeding is good, we don't question God's plan. We normally say things like, it all went according to plan. So maybe some of us, when things all go according to plan, maybe some of us give glory to God and say, this was his plan and I am blessed by him. Other, others of us fall into the trap of thinking and saying, the plan was mine and I succeeded and I will take the glory. But the point is, when we succeed, we don't normally have many questions or complaints. But failure causes us to ask questions like, what is going on? What is God doing? What is the plan? But do you realize that God has a plan even when we fail? Do you realize that God has a plan even when we fail? So I want to look at failure in two ways today. The first is through unachieved goals, and the second is through falling into sin. In both of these situations, we'll ask and we'll wonder, is God really in control? Does God really have a plan? So first, let's look at unachieved goals. We all set goals in life, right? They can be very small goals, like what, the list of things that I'm going to do this weekend around the house. They can be very large goals, like what are the steps I need to take to pursue a career path? Sometimes those goals are never achieved, and in some cases, we pursue those goals. We do the best we can, but we fail. We pursue those goals, we do the best we can, but we fail. And most of us realize that failure is part of life, and if it's part of life, it must have some sort of place in God's plan. No one sets out to fail. 
None of us set out to fail. And if we knew that we were going to fail in the future, most of us would say, why bother? I'm just going to fail. But thankfully, we actually don't know if we're going to fail or succeed. So we try to achieve those goals. Well, see, the good news is God can and will use our goal settings and our failures to accomplish his plans in our lives. See, the act of setting goals, achieving goals, and failing actually helps us grow. And growth in our lives is actually a part of God's plan. He doesn't want us to stay the same. So knowing that failure is possible, I want to remind you of four things while setting goals. Now, these things will help you to succeed, but they will also help you to learn and grow when failure is present. So the first is this. It is wise to set goals. Now, the scriptures never condemn making plans and setting goals. In fact, they teach, the scriptures teach that it is wise to do so and detrimental not to actually set goals. Let's look at Proverbs 21.5. It says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Now, here's what this is saying. Diligence and planning lead to abundance, or in other words, providing for your needs and possibly the needs of your family. Not making plans or being hasty can actually lead to loss. Now, this is why anytime you're planning to make a major purchase, you should research, you should plan, you should think, and you should pray about it. You know, I I don't know if you realize this, but some sales techniques prey on people making hasty decisions, which can lead to loss or a garage filled with useless stuff. Because the salesperson wants to make you make that decision before you have a time to plan and think and pray about those things. Jesus also says in Luke 14, 28, Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So Jesus is reminding us that in life, when we're faced with decisions, we should sit down and actually count the cost. It's wise to make a plan. So here's what's, or it's wise to set goals. So here we see the Old Testament and we see the New Testament, actually Jesus's words, is, is saying, hey, listen, it's wise to plan to achieve things, to plan to achieve goals. Next, when it comes to setting goals, don't be lazy. Sometimes the fear of failure can cause us to be lazy. Why should I put in the effort if I'm just going to fail anyway? So we sit back, relax, and enjoy, okay? Or we sit back, relax, and complain and say, why should I ever pursue something because I may fail? Now, laziness is not God's desire for you. This is one of my favorite verses, and I've used this before. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So God is using one of his smallest creations, a tiny little ant, and he's teaching us a lesson. Get to work. Don't be lazy. Don't use possible failure as an excuse to be lazy. 
You know what? But I realize many of you here are not lazy and you actually work hard. And many times we feel, you know what? I can make the plan. I can make it happen. I can work hard. I am smart. And at the end of the day, we start to rely on ourselves, which brings us to the next thing when setting goals. And that is this. Don't leave God out. Don't leave God out. Now, it kind of sounds funny because he's really never left out. Okay, God is never left out. But we can leave him out when we're making our plans and not consult with him or have any regard for him while we're making our plans. Now, James talks about that. He says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I have some great, great news for you. When you set a goal and you work hard and you get to the point in which you're praying about it and seeking God's guidance in that area, he may actually stop you dead in your tracks and actually prevent you from failing miserably. I know for me, I've had times in my life in which I wanted something to happen so bad and I put a ton of thought and planning into it. And I asked God to open doors and make it happen. And guess what God did? He kept the door closed. And in some senses, he kept it locked. It was clear that he did not want me to pursue that plan. And here is what that did in those situations. It actually kept me from failure. And now in hindsight, looking back, I see that God had something very different for me. And in many cases, better for me, better than my plans and the things that I've come up, come up with. But sometimes we keep pursuing and the doors kind of open and we force them open or they just do open and then we walk through and we fail. Well, let me just tell you this. Don't think that that's not part of God's plan because that brings us to our next point and that is learn from the failure. Learn from the failure. Whatever the failure is, we need to see what needs to be learned from it. If we don't learn from our failures, we're foolish. If we keep on making the same mistake over and over again, the Bible says we're foolish. Like in Proverbs 26, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Okay? If any of you have a dog, you've seen this happen, right? They throw up and then they eat it. You're like, it's nasty. Why would a dog do that? Because they're dogs. They're animals, okay? So here, here's what happens. The Bible's saying you're foolish if you continue to make the same mistake over and over again. Because why? Because you didn't learn from the failure. Now, some of the greatest lessons you will learn in life will be from your failures. So it's basically like God saying, you know what? Keep setting goals. Keep pursuing goals, and I'm going to use those things to help you learn from them so that you can bring glory to me. Now, when it comes to failure, the second 
The second area of failure I want to talk about, like, you know, not unachieved goals, that's one thing. But the second area of failure, which I want to talk about, is, is really much more serious. And that is this. That is falling into sin. I dealt with falling into sin when I preached through Psalm 51 about a month ago. Some of you might remember that. That Psalm was David's remorseful response to God when he was confronted about his adultery and murder by the prophet Nathan. Now, what we're going to do next is we're going to look at a specific example of falling into sin and how God used someone in a great way after he fell into sin. And that man was Peter. Now, we find Peter went from being a coward to being very bold, okay? So Peter went from being a coward to being very bold because he learned from his past sin. Now, the sin we clearly see is that he lied about having any connection to Jesus when Jesus was arrested. I'm going to recap this account about Peter found in Matthew 26. So Jesus was arrested. He was taken away. And all his disciples, his followers, all dispersed and hid because they were afraid their, their leader was arrested. Peter was kind of lurking in the shadows, kind of looking on, seeing what was going on. And he was confronted three times, two of the times by young women and one of the time by a group of bystanders. In all three of those times, Peter denied knowing who Jesus was and ever being with Jesus. Now, after he denied Jesus three times, he realized his sin and he felt remorse for it. But then we fast forward to after Jesus was crucified, after Jesus rose from the grave to the day of Pentecost, in which the Holy Spirit descended on all that believed. Peter got up to preach. He boldly preached that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that all who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. That's the gospel message. Peter preached that gospel message. Jesus lived and died and rose that gospel message. And the, the scriptures teach us that all who believe will have eternal life. That's a message for us here today as well. But Peter preached that boldly to the crowd. Interestingly enough, in that very crowd were people that actually crucified Jesus. Now, there are a few things that I want to point out from Peter's account about when we fall into sin. And the first is this. Sin runs deep. Now, Peter's sin was more than lying about not knowing Jesus or not ever being with Jesus. See, what set Peter up for his failure was deep, deeply embedded in him, and it was his pride. In Matthew 26, before Peter denied Jesus, Jesus actually told Peter, before the rooster crows, meaning before the morning came, you will deny me three times. That is why Peter felt remorse, because he remembered what Jesus had said to him. So Peter's response to Jesus is actually what set him up for the sin of denying that he even knew Jesus. In fact, Peter's response was rooted in that sin. Let's look. It says this. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me 
three times. His sin here, Peter's sin here, is pride. No, Jesus, I'm not like these other cowards. If everybody else denies you, if everybody else walks away, no, 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 not me. I'm much better than that. Then it goes on to say this. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Can you imagine the scene? So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you guys are all going to pretty much scatter. And basically, Peter, all puffed up, is like, no way. I'll die with you. And all the other disciples are like, yeah, us too. We'll never do that. We'll never do that, Jesus. Good intentions, right? But prideful. Peter thought that he could stand firm on his own. But he was, when, when, when he was faced with the prospect of being arrested and killed, he realized he was afraid and couldn't handle what may happen to him. You know, I want to speak to those of you who have been Christians for a while. Maybe some of you here have been a Christian for a few decades. And you may, you may be thinking to yourself, I have this down. I'm not like other people. I'm strong. I will not fall into sin like that. Well, take some advice from the rapper Ice Cube. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay? Remember, sin in our life runs deep. It starts with our mindset. It starts with our attitude. Having us believe that we're better, that we're stronger, we're smarter, we're more holy, we're more above it. This is where pride starts to set in. Remember, the first sin was pride with Satan. Never forget Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is us. All sin. All are capable of sin. And that is why we need to stay in close fellowship with God and get into his word daily. D.L. Moody said of God's word, he says, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. The sin of pride will keep you from relying on God and getting into his word and going to him in prayer and ultimately relying on his strength. Next, we see God still has a plan even after we sin. God still has a plan even after we sin. See, God still uses damaged goods, doesn't he? God doesn't look at us after we sin and cast us off like yesterday's trash. In fact, he'll take those broken pieces and make us into the person that he desires us to be. Those things that are in our past are part of our story, right? And oftentimes they're going to be used to help other people to overcome some of the things that they're going through and eventually bring glory to God. Think of it like a mosaic, broken pieces of tile made into a beautiful picture. Alone, those broken pieces of tile are just ugly little broken sharp pieces of tile. But together, something beautiful is made. And that's what God is doing with your life. So after you sin, God can still use you and will still use you. Let's look at Proverbs 24. It says this, For the righteous falls seven times. And rises again. Our sins don't render us ineffective. Sure, they're bumps in the road. Sure, they're not God's perfect plan for us. And it's not what God desires for us. But God will, like he did with David and like he did with Peter, renew us, restore us, and forgive us. 
Now, in order for us to move past our sin, we need to do this. We need to respond to God's plan. Now, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached because he was willing to be used by God. He could have taken the cowardly route again, but he didn't. Because he didn't, he did, he wanted to do his part in something amazing. And because he did that, he experienced God doing a mighty work through him. But then the question becomes this, what really changed for Peter? Why was he able to be bold now and he wasn't able to be bold back then? Well, the difference for Peter is what we have as well. He had the power from the Holy Spirit. You see, before the Pentecost, the believers didn't, weren't indwelled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that power. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to send that helper. So at the moment a person believes now, we receive the power from the Holy Spirit. So even though Peter faced similar consequences, which could have been an angry mob mad that he accused them of killing the Savior, okay, he didn't really worry about those consequences. He didn't really worry about the crowd. He was able to boldly proclaim the word of God because he was no longer relying on himself and his own strength anymore, but he was relying on God. We have that power. We have the Holy Spirit. Now in Psalm 145, 14, it says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and rises up all who are bowed down. Now, this is, is kind of an action. All who are bowed down. Bowing down to God is an act of humility and reliance on him. And we can have confidence that we're safe to rely on him because he is gracious, he is merciful, and he is a God that forgives us even when we fall into sin, which is our final point, and that is this. God will forgive. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter was forgiven, and he preached a message about forgiveness to the very crowd that crucified Jesus. And all this was according to God's plan. So no matter what sin you have fallen into, God is willing to forgive you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this morning, we're going to observe communion. And this is really what communion is all about, isn't it? It's about bringing our sins to the Lord and having confidence and knowing that he is willing to forgive us of our sins. See, we can't do these things on our own. We can't rely on ourselves. We need to rely on God and his power and his forgiveness. You know, for the believer, for the believer, communion is a time to remember the ultimate price that Jesus paid, which was laying down his life in our place for our sins. And with that, we are guaranteed forgiveness when we trust in him. So what I want to do is I want to give you just a few moments of silence that you can just really pray to God and bring your sins to the foot of his cross. Realize that he's the one who forgives. He's the one who forgives us of our sins. So I'm going to give you a few brief moments and then we're going to partake together.
Jesus took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in memory, in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you do have a plan. Even when we fail. Lord, sometimes in life we have goals that we want to achieve and, and we're so set on those things and we pursue those things. And sometimes when we pursue those things and we fail, we're crushed. And we wonder if you still have a plan for us, but we realize you do. Sometimes we fall into sin. The sin was deeply rooted in us. Maybe it was our pride or our attitude, whatever it might be, which caused us to do something very hurtful to other people. But Lord, we're thankful that you forgive and you still have a plan. And you'll use those things that we learn from to bring glory to yourself. I'm just thankful again for this day that we could worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.